Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Generational Clash. I'm your host, the son, and I'm the co-host, your father. All right. So last time we were talking about, let me pull it up. I think we were talking about the political situation in the United States, and this is part two. And today we're going to kind of talk about the corruption of the whole education system and whether that is because of the guaranteed loans from the federal government in the United States and or, you know, basically the increased use of the internet and what that does to kind of self-education in the sense. So let's get into it. Um, so I'll start it off with, you know, so personally, um, I didn't go to college. I, I, I dropped out. And, um, you know, especially for my age, you know, I would consider myself a, a reasonable, successful person. I'm not at the top of the pyramid, but I'm doing pretty well for myself. And in, from, from what I've noticed also, um, spe- specifically my generation, is that this is not, this is not starting to be, you know, if you, if you take a group of 100 millennials, right, it's not starting to be something crazy what i've started to notice is that a lot of people that drop out of college my age have made livings online completely and dropped out of school and have become some of the most successful people that i know whether this is the new norm or whether this is just you know kind of a bleep uh remains to be seen but you know there's two reasons that i dropped out of college which is first reason is like i don't like structured things very much and the structured educational system really, really, I wasn't very good at it. And it really, it just really wasn't for me, you know, whether it's just the, the format or whatever. I just, I, I didn't like it. And, you know, I, I, everything that I know today, and I would consider myself of specifically when I talk to other people, I would consider myself, myself a very highly informed person. And, um, I, I, maybe I don't have college educated level skills, but I, I do have a lot of skills, which I've, I've taught myself everything that I know. Um, and I think that's the best way to learn. The best way to learn is just by making mistakes and kind of picking yourself up and learning from your mistakes. And I think that college, the, or the you know, the, the current duration of college, I think that, you know, especially like liberal arts degrees and you know, just those degrees where you pay, you know, 60K a year, you know, to some crazy university and then you go out of school and you have an Ivy League degree when no one's going to hire you with that, right? So I think that the current iteration of school, unless you're in the STEM fields or you're becoming or you're going into law or you're going into, uh, into uh, you know, kind of um, if you are, you're becoming or you're going into medicine. I think that if you're not going into those three fields and you're going into college, I don't think you need to go to college. I think what you need to do is to get some real life experience. And now, nowadays with Google and with YouTube, you could learn anything. It's just a matter of, you know, putting the time and, and the best, the best thing about it is that you can learn at your own pace and you don't have anybody yelling and grading you. Right. So I think that the internet is going to radically change how people view education. And I think that, the current, you know, the current statistics with what percentage of the millennial population is already in debt, um, you know, because they decided to take a loan out for college. I don't think that is a sustainable way. I don't think that's a sustainable method. 
And I think that this is where I disagree with you, Father, where it says like education needs to be free. I come from the thought that not only does education need to be free, but I think that the old way of universities, right, where you need to go to a four-year school and you need to go away and you need to go to college, I think that method of education is dying. And I think it's dying because of the advert of the internet. And I think the internet is going to kill it the way it kills everything before it. So, yeah. So let me try to organize your ideas a little bit on the subject of education. It's true. I believe that in highly developed countries, there is enough wealth uh, in society for it to provide free education. But that concept needs to be understood properly. So, yes, I believe that education could be one of the key solutions to reform or uh, upgrade, uh, bring capitalism back to a higher level. Uh, why? Because with educated people, you have basically individuals that are prepared to go out into the job and the workforce and fill a role in society. But there are some structural issues in terms of education. Uh, we can talk about Europe, we can talk about the US. Start here. Uh, Obviously, what comes to mind is the high cost of education. Yes, a lot of people has to borrow and mortgage their future in order to pay for their studies. And that's a problem. But what are the issues that, uh, that need to be addressed urgently in the U.S.? First of all, if, if anybody can go and get the data and see very quickly that we have a problem with skilled workers. It's not about university graduates. It is about skilled workers. So take a look at the German educational system where in middle school, the students are basically split into two groups. Those that are going to pursue uh, university degrees and those that are going to pursue technical degrees. But there is no shame in society if you're a carpenter over there or a plumber. If you're not less or more than others, you can have a, a highly successful attorney uh, living near uh, a great plumber in, in Germany because those professions are in high demand and are well paid. So we don't train enough as skilled workers. That's number one. Not everybody has to go to the university. I do believe that uh, meeting the requirements of a curriculum is something that takes time. There is no question that when one uh, wants to acquire deep knowledge in something, there are a number of hours that are needed for that person to achieve that. Is it possible to do that, uh, not studying in college? Of course. You have plenty of tremendously successful entrepreneurs, take Steve Jobs for once, then take Bill Gates, that, that take Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, but... For the lay person and, and everyone, everybody out there, yes, the, the suggested course of action is you have to study. Would those type of studies change or are changing already where you don't necessarily have to go to physical classrooms? Definitely. Would you be able to do that in less than those three, four years? No, absolutely not. Because any, any of us that has you know, taking several degrees, you know, uh, I'm a fourth level uh, uh, with a master's degree. Um, 
the professional, uh, we know that it takes uh, years to reach certain type of goals. But I, I repeat, they're not absolutely necessary. I, in, in American society, the issue of high cost of education, uh, in my opinion, is solvable if, uh, yes, the, those that want to go to private schools, you know, they have to pay for them and they need to borrow in order to do so, they, then they are free to do so. But at the same time, there has to be a public education system that allows all others that cannot afford to do so because that's a reality. You take the medium class family in America, they definitely cannot afford to send their, their, their kids to um, a, a private university. And those individuals that are, have the qualification, the desire, and the talent to pursue a career should be able to do so. But so that, does that need to come out of higher taxes? No. And that's where I believe that society uh, has to find uh, good solutions, practical solutions in order to deal with it. I believe the educational system in the U.S. has serious problems. Uh, I was educated in South America, and I can tell you that the high school uh, uh, studies that I cursed, that I undertook at La Salle were far superior than the high school uh, education that is provided in America. At the same time, the university level in the, in the U.S. is perhaps better to none in the rest of the world. Why that gap? Why? Uh, it obviously affects us because you have many individuals with quite deficient high school uh, education levels compared to the Chinese, for example, or to uh, almost any European country. So the, the issue of education is perhaps one of the key sources of inequality in our country. We, we spoke about the, the, the lack of social mobility and then inequality. And definitely proper education is one of the methods to um, alleviate that. So, yeah, I mean... Look, I, and perhaps I'm a little biased here, but I think that, you know, the traditional four-year method of, of, you know, of, of getting a degree, going to school is outdated, right? And if you look at some of the numbers, not only do more people need to go to trade schools versus universities, and a trade school is something where you learn plumbing and, uh, you, know, elect, you know, if you want to become an electrician, you know, basic skilled workers, not only do we need more people going to trade schools, the people that go to trade schools end up having very high paying careers, you know, straight out of college without being in debt and uh, skills that you can teach yourself like coding, for example, um, that, you know, Google and, 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 uh, and a lot of these Silicon Valley companies just put an initiative where they're, they're funding, you know, the, the teaching of coding, you know, they just funded this initiative where it's like $50 million because the United States needs more coders. But a lot of these companies, they don't hire all their coders from Ivy League schools. They hire self-taught code coders all the time. Let me tell you some uh, um, very famous anecdote that depicts very well the issue of lack of skilled workers in America. It, at a famous lunch, in the final stages of his life, uh, Steve Jobs sat in Silicon Valley with President Obama and some of the uh, leaders of the uh, IT industry. And there was a question made by President Obama to Jobs about the, I think at that moment were like 350,000 workers that Apple um, has in China, which in reality they don't. They are working with a subcontractor, Foxconn 
or Ho and Y, a Taiwanese company. But he called them the Apple workers. And he asked him, when was Apple going to bring those workers back to America? And uh, Jobs gave a very interesting answer where, you know, he in two words, of course, said never. But he also added some data to it. Apparently, Apple had conducted a human resource, uh, through a human resource firm, a study. And uh, when they were planning the Apple iPhone launch, and uh, they needed 110 plus thousand workers uh, available in the following six months. Um, among them, there were more than 10,000 engineers, uh, and then, but all of them highly skilled workers. And the, the study that this human resource firm did in America is they realized that they, they inform Apple that, that there aren't 110,000 skilled workers available in the U.S. market that hiring that amount of people will cause major disruptions in the salary structure. Well, a lot of people have to be moved from other places because we simply don't have them. And it is correct. You, you looked at the stats and you, at that, at, in subsequent years, you saw that we had millions of open job vacancies for skilled workers. Uh, and that doesn't stop on the skilled workers level. Uh, a good example with engineers, because he told the president about the engineers, forget it. It'll take us one to two years to hire that amount of engineers at one time, because the U.S. Uh, graduates around 45, 47,000 engineers a year, but it needs 110, 115,000. And of those 47,000 that we graduate, about 25% of them are hired by the U.S. government. So... Those are the type of shortfalls that we have on the, on the educational level. But that's why one of the key changes that we need is not only making education widely available uh, from a public, uh, on, a, I mean, on a free basis for those that cannot afford, but also we have to make tremendous emphasis in skilled workers because we, we don't have not uh, nearly enough of them um, for the needs of the market. So can we talk about, you know, and, and part of, I think, part of the part of the reason that we don't have as many skilled workers is that a lot of students are pushed into getting liberal arts degrees and are putting are pushed into getting humanities degrees from these expensive universities. And they have absolutely no value to, you know, when you actually join the, the workforce. So, and that kind of corrupts the whole institution as a whole, because what you send, and that also creates a lot of anger. And instead of the anger being, you know, internally, like, okay, I chose to get a degree that has absolutely no, no necessity, it creates a lot of anger towards, you know, the government, right, which is what you're seeing nowadays, when you, you see a lot of, a lot of these students, you know, basically, you know, either shutting down free speech on campuses or, you know, they're, they're shutting down any type of conversation and they're promoting failed ideologies like Marxism and communism, right? And that, that's a direct consequence of the corruption of these institutions peddling, you know, horrible curriculums and, 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 and emphasizing too much, too much interest on on, you know, on subjects and, and, and disciplines that, that are never going to be used in real life. Like, why do you think that is? Um, I have my ideas, right? And I think that it stems all the way back to the 1960s. Um, 
But I, I kind of want to get your input on this. It is absolutely normal that uh, in, in the teenage years, um, individuals tend to be more liberal or, or have more uh, leftist ideas. That's always been the case. I think that our issue uh, from an educational point of view, you touched some of it. Yeah, we graduate. We have, I think, half of all the attorneys of the world. Something wrong with that. Look, you look at Congress and most of the congressmen are attorneys. Why? Why don't we have a, a, you know, a plethora of different you know, professions representing us there? Because there are many issues that they're dealing with, not only laws. But uh, the, the education system is not, it's not funneling and channeling the different career paths in the way that society needs. A good example of that, again, going back to Germany, is that right at middle school, they bifurcate into people that goes into skill works, skill jobs, and, 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 non, and, and then careers, per se. There is no shame in, in uh, and this is something that is it's a cultural thing, right, that uh, you're less if you study to be a plumber or to be a carpenter. Why? You serve a perfect purpose in society, and, and your job uh, you know, should, is compensated also uh, if, if you are a, a highly skilled worker handsomely. And, and, and in, in, in a way, that uh, establishes, uh, in my mind, a subject that should be uh, center, center in terms of reforming capitalism, which is inequality. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I think it's deeper than that. I think that, yeah, it's absolutely normal. I think it was Winston Churchill that said, if you don't, if you're not a liberal when you're young, you have no heart. But if you are not a conservative when you're old, you have no brain. So... I think that perfectly summarizes what you're saying, but I, I think it's gone a little bit too far. I think that, I think that, and, and this promotes also, you know, the, you know, and, and, and you see this, right? Whether it's the denial of, of gender right now and, and whether it's the promotion of, of, of transgender, uh, you know, norms. And again, I don't have anything against transgender people, but it's promoting an ideology that not only does it, actually affect a, a, a very small minority of the population, much, much less than 1%. It, you're pushing an ideology that is not accepted by the mainstream. And whether if you try to question it, you're labeled as some sort of bigot right off the bat. Let, let me, let me people here a little bit some, because we are kind of lost a little and uh, on the, in, well, the branch, in the branches. The reason I'm bringing this up is because all of this kind of, it all has to do with the political situation right now. It, it all interacts with one another. Well, let me, let me bring uh, here, uh, perhaps this will be the, the, con the continuing subject in this uh, podcast today, and then we'll continue on the next step. Let me bring the issue of inequality again from the point of view as one of the key issues that society has to solve. So, Not so what you're trying to say is that all of this stems from uh, inequality. No, I'm saying, um, and by the way, I'm, when you use the word uh, ideology, I told you in several conversations here, you have to be careful because we are using that as a label today. Uh, I use the word inequality as one of the, the key matters to be solved from society, not through taxes, not through big government, but capitalism itself. Let me tell you about an author in France called Thomas Piquet. Thomas Piquet is an economist in the University of Paris that uh, wrote uh, perhaps the, the most famous economics book of the last 10 years called Capitalism in the 21st Century. And the centerpiece subject of this book is inequality. 
What is interesting about his study, though I don't agree with the solutions that he proposes, is that he determined that the return on equity or the growth, capital growth in developed nations consistently exceeds the actual economy growth, the, that particular country economy growth. Meaning that the people that holds capital, that has the capital, are basically making more money okay, than society as a whole. But the, the, so the interesting thing in how he got there is that this gentleman, for that book in particular, went and studied the tax returns of the citizens of these developed nations. He went and did massive data uh, analysis of the actual tax returns of their citizens. And this uh, issue of inequality came across uh, after, a, a, what I would say, a careful study on how we have evolved. For example, he was able to determine how during the wars, World War I, World War II, uh, inequality was uh, reduced significantly because, yeah, the whole society was kind of an even playing field taking care of societal, societal needs that were bigger than the individual interests of a few. So uh, in, in a subsequent book, he entered more into the structural inequalities that existed in society and how they have been proved, they have improved over time. I am digging into this subject because education is a component of this, no question. Uh, but the solution that he proposes, which is basically to make a progressive tax. I'm not a is, fan. I'm not a fan because what he's proposing, right? And he, some of his influence are Karl Marx and he's very progressive. And what he's proposing is a wealth tax, which has already been proven to be a failure in many European countries. I think his ideas are interesting, not from and a point of view of also, the solution. Most importantly, I think that he's dead wrong in the sense that it's not, it's not the rich getting richer. It's the fact that the money is broken. The money is fundamentally the, the, broken. The monetary system is an inefficient, you can call it broken, an obsolete system that does not reflect the velocity of the business uh, transactions today. But I think it's more, it's much more fundamental than that. And the custodian issue remains, you know, a tremendous flaw because you're not in possession of the things that you have earned. But do not mix that up, please, with the, the, the problems capitalism is having. One of those problems is inequality and the other one is lack of social mobility. Yeah, but how could you not say that the lack of social mobility and inequality are symptoms of the money being broken. It's it, And what do I mean by broken? I mean by you are not a custodian of your money. That's number one. That's problem number one, but that's, that's a problem that you could say it's not really a problem. But problem number two is this concept of, you know, you can go into the interest rates where you're, you're not even getting paid to have your money. And if you want to preserve your wealth as an individual, you're forced to partake in the stock market. So if you analyze the financial institutions as people that charge fees for basically uh, using your money and being the custodians of your money, then you could say that that's part of the economic inequality that exists in the world. But if you're saying about, if you're talking about the currency system per se, the US dollar or the euro or the Japanese yen, 
you're talking about monetary systems that have flaws and that have become obsolete in relation to the current business actuality. But you want to talk about issues that exist right now in capitalism and where, why you see this anger in society? Start by inequality and continue with lack of social mobility. And that has nothing to do with the monetary system per se. There may be aspects of it when you talk about the financial players and the way they make money where you say, well, a bank is not a, a manufacturing uh, facility. They don't make anything. They're just an intermediary. Okay, from that point of view, the role of a bank, but not government, is negative for society and we could bank directly one with, with one another without a custodian in the middle. And that, we're in agreement. But the issues that we have in society today that need to be addressed as an urgent societal problem that needs to be addressed from an academic and a, and, and, a, and a business point of view. Pickett is interesting in the sense that he has basically uncovered the data. I don't agree with the solution of imposing a tax. I think the tax solution does not work. It's basically imposing in, on the free market levies, no. But I believe that the data he has uncovered is it is, cannot be questioned. Basically, it's clear that a few are earning and making a lot more than what society is making as a whole. In other words, the, and that's, that's, that's basically the data that he found, that the return on equity is higher than the economic growth of nations. So, you say, wait, wait, wait a second, I'm, gonna go, I'm not going to go and take from them and give to the others. No. What I'm saying is, okay, entrepreneurs of the country, the Bill Gates, the Elon Musks, the Jeff Bezos, we have a serious social problem in the country that basically encompasses the human basic needs of what? Of housing, education, healthcare, and retirement. These issues need to be tackled with the same energy and the same uh, interest and acumen is for your own best interest, the, the interest of your own workers, in order to allow capitalism to evolve. And Piquet's ideas are, uh, in, in numbers are pretty clear. In a subsequent book that just came out, where he talks about capitalism and ideologies, he digs deeper into the issue of inequality. Now, not, not so much from the point of view of data, but now putting a historical context in how inequality has improved in, as we got into industrial era, but also has you know, gone backwards after you know, certain moments of crisis have passed. He has clearly on, uh, put into evidence that the wars actually brought more equality. <laughs> but after the wars, uh, you know, crisis, economic crisis washed away, and then inequality started start to build up pretty quickly again. So uh, uh, when you talk about education, I would say that's one of the pillars to solve the issues of inequality. But the, we need to address the educational problem in the U.S. because in my mind, education has to be affordable for everyone. You're born in a nation as rich as this, Education cannot be a hurdle that you can only afford if you have money. No. Anyone from any walks of life should be able to study. Now, not everyone has to go to the university. We have to put a tremendous emphasis in building up our educational infrastructure for 
skilled work, uh, jobs because the new economy, uh, which is a knowledge-based economy, I will agree with you on that. There are many careers that can be done faster than before, that can be done online. Uh, there are many careers that do not require the type of curriculums that other careers like medicine or engineering or architecture or even law require, where make sure, make sure you understand, son, there is no way that the curriculum of those careers plus the practical experience that you need can be bypassed or shortcut. No, that will not change. Okay, that you need several years Okay, and in some of the professions, those professions, even more years than, norm, than normal to reach a point where you are a proficient professional on that field. But there are many other uh, uh, disciplines that have emerged with the new economy where you can study faster. But I don't think that the country right now has enough uh, educational infrastructure for uh, skilled workers. Yeah, I mean, I think that... I think that without a doubt, I think that if you're going into the STEM field or if you're going into medicine, if you're going into law, I think that without a doubt, you definitely need that four-year degree. I think that's undebatable. But what I'm trying to say is that over 50% of people that are in college right now are getting useless degrees and that's being promoted by society and that's being promoted by the institutions themselves. And I think that is a fundamental problem. And I think that it's, it's kind of seeping into other aspects of life. It's, it's kind of promoting failed ideologies, dangerous ideologies, wrong ideologies, and it's infecting a lot of people. I don't and, know and about the ideology thing, but and it, and definitely it, graduate too many attorneys and not enough engineers, as I said it's earlier. It's dividing the country politically. And, and I think it's, and it's coming from the institutions themselves. And I think that there needs to be a reckoning. And in terms of, you know, in, in, in terms of, you know, your ideas on how capitalism needs to change, I stand by my original thought. I think that what's actually broken, what's actually not functioning correctly is the money. And I think that the other things are symptoms of a broken money. I don't believe that the monetary system establishes classes. I do believe, and, and lack of social it mobility. promotes It promotes rent-seeking yeah. behavior. I, I think that one of the, the elements that I need to clarify for you, you keep going around the issue of, of interest rates. And it's, interest not, it's not only interest rate. They, they, that's just one of the components. The interest rate is the price of money. And if we are like we may face in the following quarters, if we face inflationary pressures, believe me that when inflation passes, certain thresholds, it becomes a drag on everyone in the economy. But, but, but inflation, inflation only inflation, it, it disproportionately affects the poor yes. and disproportionately helps the wealthy. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. so how could you not say that's not one of the components? I'm telling you that because the money being broken. the developed world in the last 10 years, and we went to this one, okay, you go to the data, okay? The world enjoyed, and I say it's thanks to efficiencies and productivity, okay, and, and high levels of competition in almost every segment of the economy. Uh, we enjoyed a, a, an, inter, uh, uh, an inflation rate uh, hovering around 2%. I'm talking about in general, some a little bit, some a little bit less, some a little bit more. 
but basically the, and and that was excellent for for economic growth as it showed but that is not going to change easily because i don't believe i think many economists concur on this all right but what okay hold on let me stop you there so what what does that high level of productivity what what does that have to do with with in, with inflation disproportionately hurting the poor no, what, what uh, you need to understand is that when there are high levels of productivity, which is the heart of capitalism, productivity, and efficiencies are incrementing every year, uh, businesses make more money. And as businesses make more money, they invest, they save, they hire, they spend. Uh, in turn, you know, all the factors, uh, economy factors bene benefit from it. The banks deposits yeah, but, but, increase, but, but they you, lend more still, money. But you're still not answering my question. What does that have to do with inflation disproportionately hurting the poor don't you see how that exacerbates yeah. do you don't you see that capitalism is working just fine if it's the money that needs fixing if you have too much demand for money from all the factors of the economy from the guy that buys a fridge to the buy that buys a car to the individual that buys a plane then the cost of money goes up it has nothing to do with government or ideology put that aside from your head please Okay, if the inflation rate goes above certain levels, then you definitely hurt everyone, and of course, the uh, the, the ones that get hit the, the worst are those that need money, which could be a small business or a business that is illiquid or people that that is poor. But at a two percent inflationary level, which is the one we've been hovering in the last ten years in the developed nations. This whole discussion is mute. To the contrary, the risks that you have had in a number of these economies, namely Japan, is that the interest rates actually have gone down uh, with, to levels near zero or less. Uh, and the, this basically driven by uh, a, a, an inflation rate that is proportionally equally low. And we talk about that, how, how dangerous is a country spiraling down on a, a negative uh, interest rates and inflation rates spiral. Do not confuse that with inequality. Do not confuse that with ideology, left or right. These are market forces driving this. And the issue is what's happening on an economy for that economy to become that inefficient that money is not allocated or lent or borrowed enough so that there is a certain cost because there has to be some cost to the money. And I say that uh, up to 2% is something perfectly acceptable. There has to be profit in society and even banks have to make money. It's like any other enterprise. And you could argue that, yes, the interest rate they charge is the money they're making. The issue is that when that level surpasses the three, four percent level a year, then you can create tremendous stresses into the finances of individuals and enterprises. We haven't been through that for quite a while, so just so you know. So when you talk about currencies, cryptocurrencies being a replacement of the current uh, fiat currencies, the issue of interest rates and an inflationary level, that's not what is gonna prompt the change into those currencies. In my mind, it comes from the fact that the old currencies have become obsolete well, you, in their functionality. So you already see a prompt. Okay, you, now today, for example, the, the second public company just decided to drop partial part of its cash reserves for Bitcoin. 
Okay. So I don't, but I come, and this is a radical thought, perhaps you disagree with me. I don't think inflation is necessary for an economy to work. I think that that's basically what, you know, the central banks have been peddling. In that regard, you become just a socialist because How basically socialist? every economic factor in the economy has to make money. And financial intermediaries are here of course, to stay. Of course, Don't you, they, they, they make money. They make, Bitcoin people make money for your no, transaction. You still have to pay. You still have to pay. A financial institution makes money by taking deposits or borrowing money on a certain cost but and why then lending need, it at a different why price. Why do you okay? need, but why, what does it have to do with the interest well, rates? Let me tell you something. Even though the role of banks as custodian of your money may well change in the future through the concept of cryptocurrencies and uh, public ledgers and blockchain, among other technologies, and as a perfectly real uh, uh, alternative that is coming that way, it may be government-driven, it may be private, we don't know yet, but that in itself should not be confused with the role the financial players play because either let's say you need to finance the construction of a building or finance the purchase of a boat or the construction of a bridge or you need capital for the startup company you are running or you need money before you go public the financial but, but, intermediary but will always be there do, that has nothing to do with inflation excuse me what, what, inflation what are those things inflation what? is the fuel of the financial industry I, yes this i for 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 the government being able to print money period excuse me inflation is not driven by government inflation is driven because there is not enough supply but for who, the demand of the, products and services that exist the in the economy who's the first benefit benefiter from inflation let me tell you government isn't because as inflation goes up and interest rates follow that when the government borrows the treasury bills that they issue have to have a stamp with a higher interest rate that they have to pay for so as, as interest rates go government is only one more player in the economy and it gets affected both ways so quantitative easing has benefited the u.s government because as they've been basically buying all the bonds that treasury issues through the fed they have created what? They have created downward pressure on the yield. Therefore, the new bonds that are issued by Treasury are issued with a lower interest rate. So do not confuse interest rates with the validity of cryptocurrencies. They are valid because the old monetary system has become obsolete. It has become inefficient. I think, and the, I the think custodian more, idea is obsolete too. I think it's a, a deeper component to that. I think it's a deeper component to that. I think that inflation is not necessary anymore. I think that it was a necessary evil when you needed a centralized system in order for the system to work. And what happens with any centralized system, corruption follows, right? Welcome to the new norm where we are experiencing a very healthy, uh, and low uh, inflationary rates of around 2%. Uh, some old school uh, businessmen don't like that because they used to make money with, with uh, high, uh, you know, higher interest rates. They don't make much money, including banks, uh, with, uh, through interest rates, uh, with this level of interest rates. But yes, remember, the same as the rest of the economy needs profits, the interest rate is, the, is where the profit of the financial intermediaries reside doesn't mean that some of the roles those financial intermediaries are playing today 
will maybe replaced by the, the new uh, type of currencies out there. Right now, cryptocurrencies are commodities. They're not a means of payment. They're a, mean, they a means of exchange, a good way to hold value and to grow uh, your capital by holding them. But they don't work as a means of payment because of the reasons we spoke about. They're, the velocity at which you can transact with them is not there yet. And their face value changes every day. That has to change. And we'll have a new type of crypto that, that will meet those and other requirements. But remember, we started talking about uh, education and the subject of, of, of that, that, that before we, we continue well, diving into I, I cryptos think, I think continues it, to be... It's, it's not about crypto. The capitalist it's, it's, system it's, problems. It's not about crypto. And it, it's, it's, it, today's topic, when we were finishing off what we started on Wednesday, which was basically why the political situation in the United States has gotten so separate, has, has, has divided the country. And I think that all these topics that we're talking about play major components in, in basically, you know, the explosion that you're seeing today. Um, and I think that one of the major components, you know, you have your, you have your beliefs. I have my beliefs. I think that one of the big major components from a non-technical level is the money is broken. And because the money is broken, because the because the, the 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 U.S. economy runs basically on fiat, and because people save in fiat, fiat psychologically actually affects you. It's not a good currency to save. I agree with all of that, but not as a reason to explain, uh, you know, the flaws of capitalism. Now, on the next session, I'm going to dig deeper on this issue of inequality and what are the type of solutions that can come from the private sector and the academic sector if they tackle this problem the proper way and, and they give it the seriousness that it deserves. And uh, well, I'm going to again visit Mr. Piquet's latest book of Capitalism and Ideologies because it, it is an excellent read to understand the historical uh, trends of inequality and how societies have evolved or going backwards and, and what are we suffering today and how does that connect to ideologies? Yeah, I mean, I think that definitely we could we could definitely, you know, change the subject for next week and we could kind of expand on that. But for this week, you know, I think we covered thoroughly, you know, uh, we, we covered thoroughly about what, what we think, you know, the different generations think what the cause of you know the current political climate in the United States, and I hope everybody enjoyed the, ep the this episode of you know the generational clash. We really appreciate you listening, and uh, don't don't forget to you know subscribe and tune into the next next episode, which will drop next Wednesday of the generational clash. See you guys later.